This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. So glad you've chosen to hang out with us on this spectacular Thursday drive. Let's talk about the Tar Heels. After hearing Hubert on Andy Katz's podcast this week, my expectations that the Tar Heels are going to play a different style of basketball than we've grown accustomed to the last couple of decades under Roy. The most obvious difference being that the bigs will play on the perimeter. Roy, if we're being honest about it, never prioritized that skill set in bigs. But it's pretty clear Hubert has a different opinion. We learned that when Brandon Robinson joined us the day that Hubert was hired. And he said, eh, this is something I talked to Hubert about. He wants to have more of these fours and five shooting threes. Alfonso Ellis, Alfonso Ellis, he joked the first interview he did as Tar Heel coach. Hey, I know you lost Walker Kessler. If you need somebody with eligibility remaining, I got you. Hubert's response was, can you shoot? I don't want any screeners. So who does he bring in as the transfers? He brings in Brady Manick, who is one of the best three-point shooting big men in the history of Oklahoma basketball. And he brings in Justin McCoy, who has an athletic skill set, wasn't asked to shoot the basketball at Virginia, but what's enticed him about playing for Hubert is he might get that opportunity coming off the bench this fall. This is Hubert talking about those two transfers and how they're going to fit in, what that post is going to look like for the Tar Heels next season. I'm really happy about Justin McCoy and Brady Manick. Justin is a transfer from Virginia and Brady a transfer from Oklahoma. Both of these guys bring something to our team that I think we desperately needed. You know, last year, I think we had the best and the most talented front court in the country, but it was really crowded in there. I mean, we had four quality bigs that love the post up. And so you got two guys on the block and you got two defenders guarding them. And it was, you know, it was very difficult outside of them to get to the basket. And, you know, we wanted some bigs that were a little bit more versatile, that like to play on the outside, that can make plays out on the perimeter. And Brady and Justin can definitely do that. And we really feel like in combination with Armando, that's just going to be a really nice chemistry. Yeah. And with Armando Baycott back in the fold, there's still going to be some back to the basket for North Carolina. He feels pretty confident he's coming back, even though he's going to test the NBA draft waters. In terms of other changes that might happen from this point on with the roster, it's only going to be players coming in, not players going out, Hubert told Andy Katz. Here's how that sounded. Well, everybody on the roster right now is coming back. We spent a number, a lot of time with the guys on the current roster, their families, and um, I know Armando Baycott wants to go through the process and wants to work out with teams, but he's been here every day and he has every intention on coming back to the University of North Carolina. Here's the big question that I have. And we'll take your calls on this at 336-777-1600. Will Hubert choose to go smaller with other spots in the lineup? Will he prioritize shooting, I should say? Because Leaky Black, maybe we could talk more about this in a bit, he hasn't been more, he hasn't really been the scoring type, not much of a shooter, not much of a playmaking threat. Will Hubert say, listen, 
Leaky, we value your defense, but we want you coming off the bench now because we want to have, even though it's a smaller lineup, RJ with Kerwin and Caleb on the floor. Or try to get one of these two new wings that they recruited some run. DeMarco Dunn, I think, from the Fayetteville area. Dontre Styles from Kinston, continuing the lineage of Jerry Stackhouse and Reggie Bullock. Oh, and Brandon Ingram, too, even though he didn't go to Chapel Hill. He should have, but you know the background on that. If you know, you know. Hubert, I think he might prefer going small, and he has two more scholarships to prove what exactly he's trying to get done here, or to show us, I should say, indicate if there's any change stylistically. Because I do think it's going to be a much different style than what we've seen with North Carolina the last two decades. Hubert's going to put his own imprint on what he wants this basketball team to look like, how they want to play, stylistically what it's going to be. Because many people think Roy Williams, he just did the same thing that Dean did. Because Roy said that. Hey, Dean's taught me everything I know. Roy played a far different style than Dean Smith played in Chapel Hill. Far different. And I think we might be seeing that with Hubert as well. 336-777-1600. Let's go. If we talk about North Carolina, we got to talk about Duke as well, it usually feels like in this state. Garbage Mike wants in on the Blue Devils. What question do you have for me, Mike? Josh, how you doing this afternoon? I'm doing okay, man. Hope you are. What do you think about Duke now that Roy Williams has retired? What's going to happen with Coach K coming up this season? Well, a couple things before that to get to before I get to my take here, Josh. First of all, congratulations on the upcoming nuptials. Thank you. To the lovely Sarah Bradford. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Sarah Bradford deserves some applause, Robert. Anytime she's brought up, I don't deserve the applause, but she does. Me, me and some of the guys on the wall. You and the guys were what? Me, me and some of the guys on the on the truck were wondering if I Are you drowning out garbage Mike? Hold one sec. I can't hear you, garbage Mike. He has the audience really loud. Shut up! Sorry, Garbage Mike. Okay, right. what was the question? Josh, as I, I was saying, as um, you know, me and the boys on the route, as we collect uh, the garbage up in the Grahamsville, um, you know, we're talking, we're wondering, was your, before you asked her the question, did you have to drop in that this um, engagement was brought to you by Demer Tyranata? <laughs> no, I, I didn't have to drop that in there, but she did point out that I had, on the way to getting engaged, she pointed out two things on the drive. She said uh, that my car, my windshields were a mess and that you need to get your car wash. And I get my car wash at Beamer Tire and Auto. And she pointed out that your check engine light turned on, which is always a really pleasant thing to hear. And that's that's what I remember about the drive to Brook Ring Garden. So to answer your question, no, that was not brought up with my knee in the dirt but it was brought up on the drive up. All, all I got to say is if you write, if you write that into your vows, you and Colorado, we'll, we'll do something a little special for you and you and the missus. All right, might have to do that. Let me write that down there. Okay, what do you have on Duke, my friend? All right, so I'm wondering if you think that given what Carolina did and staying within the family and going within, do you think that the Blue Devils may have to follow suit whenever that day comes to replace Coach K. Okay. Or do you think they go outside the family? And I'll hang up and listen, and I hope your dad feels better. 
that's very kind of you. Thank you so much for the call, Garbage Mike. It was just a really special moment me and Dad had yesterday with that Orioles finish and him and I love the O's, that no-hitter, first complete no-hitter for any Orioles pitcher since 1969 and Jim Palmer. So appreciate you saying that on the back end. I've always felt there is a far less chance Duke hires outside the family than North Carolina. The Tar Heels, they hired inside the family. They did so with Hubert Davis. Duke, I think, is going to follow suit, not because North Carolina did so, but because I think they have a far deeper well. Carolina fans aren't going to want to hear this, but I think it's the truth. If there was a coach out there that was as accomplished as Jeff Capel or Quinn Schneider in the NBA or Johnny Dawkins or Tommy Amaker available that had went to North Carolina, they'd probably get the job over Hubert Davis. I don't know that for sure, but they'd be in the mix, even more so than Wes Miller, who spent 10 years in Greensboro. So I think there's a far deeper well, a deeper pipeline for Duke to tap into, and Kay's going to have massive say in it, so I don't see him going against what, what he's built at Duke and going outside the family. Dawkins, Amaker, Jeff Capel, Wojciechowski, John Shire, who's on staff right now. Nate James just took the Austin P job. There's just so much, so many options for, for Duke to tap into. I don't see them hiring outside the family, no. Moving things along a bit. Hey, one second. Uh, Beaver just texted me and said, Garbage Mike gets a free old change for the shout-out. That's fantastic. So, Garbage Mike, call me back up so I can get your number, man. Do that. Yeah, Doug Beamer going to hook you up there. The latest two headlines on Aaron Rodgers' ongoing saga. Some teammates have told The Athletic that Aaron has referred to the general manager of the Packers, Brian Gutekunst, as Jerry Krause, which despite the six titles he got with the Bulls, I don't think that's a compliment. And according to Adam Schefter, the Packers are exploring free agent options at quarterback. Free agent options they can bring in to compete and be alongside Jordan Love for OTAs and training camp. This is just more smoke telling me that Rodgers and the Packers are headed towards a divorce. When I think about the leading causes of divorce, the first things that come to mind, oh, you cheated. Oh, you lied. Oh, you're just unhappy. Which, when I looked up the data earlier today, and what I've heard in past years, isn't the case. The leading cause of divorce in America is some combination of lack of commitment or lack of respect. Those two tend to go hand in hand. Lack of commitment or lack of respect. That's what we're seeing with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers no longer respects Green Bay. And I don't know if the Packers respect Aaron anymore. We've learned Aaron is petty. He holds grudges. And he wants to embarrass Green Bay at points. That's why I think the news came out last week, even though Adam Schefter's kind of done some damage control on all of that. He calls Gutekunst Jerry Krause as if he's Michael Jordan with six titles and the greatest to ever play his sport, which, by the way, Aaron Rodgers isn't. 
he feels Green Bay embarrassed him. And it's hard to really argue against that, if I'm being fair. You know, you got to let your quarterback know if you're going to draft a quarterback in the first round and you're going to trade up to do so. you got to make sure the coach knows about it, too. Apparently, LaFleur was out of the mix when they did that a year ago. How do you expect Aaron Rodgers to feel in that circumstance? So I doubt this is going to be reconciled. I think we're headed towards a divorce. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, they're going to part ways. I think it's going to be this offseason. So for the first time ever, a an MVP quarterback is going to be playing for a different team the next year. I think both sides have legit reasons to be hard-headed about things. I think Green Bay's looking forward to the post-Rodgers world, despite what they're going to say publicly. If you're a general manager... Do you think just once in a decade you'd like to have some cap flexibility and not have so much pressure on every single pick you make because you're paying the quarterback so much money? Every signing has to be a hit or else you're going to be screwed. There's no flexibility at all. Of course they want that. Do you think just once the general manager is going to want a slew of picks, first round, second round, so they could build their roster a different way? That's what satisfies these, these general managers. It's what they dream of. If they trade away Aaron, they're going to get a ton of draft capital back. They're going to get long-term cap stability. I think they're looking forward to it. I really do. And Aaron's looking forward to moving on as well. So I think it's relevant, the Jerry Krause headline from the day. Rodgers and group text telling teammates or referring to Gutekunst as Krause. And I think it's relevant that they're exploring other quarterbacks. If I'm trying to think of who they might bring in, it's probably Nick Mullins, RG3. Robert said Alex Smith makes a lot of sense to try to get him out of retirement. He only lost one game last year playing for Washington. It'd be an upgrade in situation for a team that's been to the NFC Championship game in back-to-back years. Brian Hoyer, maybe. I expect this to happen, and I think it's going to happen post-June 1st, start of the new league year, spread out that money, uh, make it a more palatable cap hit, even though in the near term it's still not going to be great for the Green Bay Packers in that regard. You like Jordan Love enough to trade up in the first round to take him, and when you do that, the clock starts ticking. So I think both Aaron and Green Bay, they've had it. It's time for a divorce. Neither respects each other, and I don't think the commitment's there either. We must talk. Go ahead, go ahead. Talk. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Let's talk some hoops with our guy Brendan Marks from The Athletic. Covers Carolina, covers Duke. I'll just say covers college basketball. And you can read his North Carolina Tar Heel mailbag today in The Athletic where he answered a ton of questions about the first month or so we've seen now of Hubert Davis as the head coach of the Tar Heels replacing Roy Williams. Getting to a few things that I'm interested with, with Hubert now being the coach and what the roster is going to look like. There are two scholarships remaining, assuming that Armando Baycott is back and also Leaky Black. I hadn't done that in a while, so I looked at Robert. He tried to give me the no look there, so I was prepared for that right there. Uh, those guys are supposed to be back, according to Hubert Davis, telling Andy Katz on his podcast earlier this week. 
What do you think Huber is looking at potentially with these last two scholarships? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Josh. And I think that Huber has already done, you know, a, a decent job of filling some of the holes that emerged on this roster uh, in the aftermath of the end of this last season. And obviously we, we all know about the exodus in the front court and getting Armando Baycott back. I, I don't think that there was ever serious consideration to him leaving for the NBA. I don't think that um, he would have been selected if he were to have stuck in the draft. And, and I think the expectation was that he would be back all along, but there's still some holes to fill in the front court. And even bringing in guys like Brady Manick and Justin McCoy, um, you would still like to ideally have another big body there. So, as I understand it, you know, UNC has continued to have conversations with Efton Reed, who's, who's about a top 25 guy uh, in this year's class. He's more of a stretch big than a true back-to-the-basket guy, but um, his commitment has been very secretive, very close to the vest. So uh, I think he is probably the biggest fish that UNC is still chasing at this point, and landing him would, would really give UNC the sort of young depth piece that they need to fill out the rest of this roster. Robert, how upset on a scale of 1 to 10 are you that he's coming back? Uh You know what? I'll just I'll just allow it, you know. There's nothing much I can do about it. As long as we just keep the uh specification of his name to a minimum, I think we'll be just fine. Who's that? Armando Baycott? <laughs> Brendan Marks is with us here from the Athletic. He's on Twitter at Brendan R Marks. We expect uh, Hubert to have bigs who can play beyond the perimeter, which isn't something we've always been able to say about Roy Williams' coach Tar Heel teams. But what about the rest of the lineup? Do you think there's a chance Hubert might prefer a smaller lineup with Caleb, Kerwin, and RJ on the floor than predominantly a lineup featuring Leaky Black? I, I don't think that that is the preference just because I think that that's a unit while it's like exciting to think about the possibility offensively of what those three can do. And I'm sure that there will be times that all three of them are on the floor together. Um, defensively, you're, you're a little susceptible at that point, especially uh, depending on who you have in the front court. But, you know, as, as much effort as they put in, you know, RJ Davis's physical limitations are only going to allow him to do so much defensively. And Kerwin Walton's still learning. He's still a little bit stiff. Caleb Love is probably the best of the three at this juncture. Probably still has the highest defensive ceiling. But, um, no, I, I think that what we're going to see from Hubert Davis is a lot more of sort of what you saw from those Roy Williams teams that had a guy like Luke May, someone who is a four-man but is capable of rebounding the basketball, is capable of being inside and outside. You know, I, I think Brady Manick is sort of a, a custom fit. He's the perfect guy to fill that role because at Oklahoma, he was used as a small ball five. His defensive rebounding rates are really good. Uh, and obviously, you know, he never shot under 35% from three in any of his four seasons with the Sooners. So finding more guys in that mold, I think, is really what we're going to see Hubert push for in the future. Um, it, it's sort of like a hybrid combo of what Roy Williams used to do without totally getting away from that traditional Carolina break. Let's broaden the conversation beyond North Carolina. Who among the title-contending ACC teams do you have a feel, Brendan, handled the challenges of the transfer portal especially well? Ooh, that's a tricky one. You know, I, I think that to some respect, both you could say North Carolina did well, you could say that Duke did well, but if you're talking, you know, nationally, um, it's hard not to like what Kentucky has done. And, and I know that uh, that's, that's not what anybody in this state wants to hear, but 
you talk about some of the guys they're bringing in, I mean, uh, to get Kellen Grady from Davidson, he's one of the best perimeter players in the portal. C.J. Frederick is a lockdown shooter out of Iowa. Um, they had Oscar, I'm, I'm going to butcher his last name, Tashibwe, uh, coming from West Virginia. So, I mean, those are three instant impact guys who can start for Kentucky, have tons of Division One experience. So, uh, I really like what the Wildcats have done. I don't think that Calipari was ever going to be satisfied with the sort of down, horrible season they had last year. And he's done everything in his power to make sure it won't happen again. Robert, he gives us updates on his cats, Winston and Paris. Robert, what was the latest on your girlfriend being upset with the cat? Apparently, was it Winston dragging like rats or mice? Oh yeah, just drug rats all through my house. Okay, first off, let me tell the real story. Please do. Uh, She wasn't upset. She just didn't know what to do. Uh, Winston found like a baby squirrel, and he Mm -hmm. was like playing with it yesterday in the backyard. And she just sent me, like, a bunch of messages, like, I have no clue what to do. And I, I told her just, I guess, let him play with it. But he did. He let it go. He didn't. Uh, wasn't malicious or anything. He was just wanting to play. And honestly, my cat always, I, I can see him in the window, like, making noises at birds and stuff. So I know that he always wanted to catch something. So I'm glad he got to uh, act out his animal instincts. I feel like, so the cat people portion of the audience are well represented with Robert's analysis and breakdown there and recap. I appreciate that. A good gamer by you very quickly there. Brendan Marks is a dog person. We've seen the Kona updates on social media. Incredibly cute dog. What's the latest you could tell me and what Kona's been up to? Oh, boy. Well, Kona's been having the time of her life recently, Josh. We uh, recently were able to fence in our backyard, which... Uh, Kona will tell you is the greatest thing that's ever happened to her. She gets to go out, she gets to play, she gets to dig holes, she gets to sleep in the bushes. Uh, she she doesn't have a lot to complain about right now. She's out on the back porch right now. I think probably longing for the chance to go out and play and run around. So yes, I, I need to bring more daily Kona content back to life over the summer. Find some Kona updates on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. Read his stuff on Duke, Carolina, and other college basketball subjects at the Athletic. Brendan, it's good to hear from you as always. I'm sure we'll catch up sometime soon. Likewise, Josh. Hope everyone is doing well. Staying safe. Got it. You as well. That's Brendan Mark spending time with us here. Robert, sounds like you might need to tame your cats a little bit. Make sure they don't turn into dangerous lioness felines. No, that's the goal. I would love for him to turn into a, a dangerous... I guess he would be a lion, and, and Paris would be a lioness. But he just always wants to get into stuff, man. I'm I'm not going to stop him from being a cat. If what, he wants to do cat stuff, get it on, man. Whatever happened to the five-foot-tall metallic, uh, it wasn't a boogeyman. It was a, a big Sasquatch. Foot. Yeah. Uh, it's still in my living room, just in the corner. You don't use it to scare Cheyenne anymore? Nah, she's kind of over it now, like it, uh, and I don't even know if it really scares her anymore. I kind of just keep it in the side, throw a hat on it every once in a while. My cats jump off of it and play with it, so I mean, everybody likes it. I don't know if Sarah Bradford's listening to this right now. If she is, I'm probably going to be outed one of my bits. Uh, I used to take the stuffed reindeer that she has, and I'd just put it in random spots until she got really mad at me one time when I put it in the fridge and one of the one of the like pearls or something on the back of it fell off. Oh no. She got super mad about that. But I thought it was funny. Anytime uh, my girlfriend gets mad like that, I tell her I'm going to get her a cape because she's super <laughs> mad.
That doesn't go over well either. If you're taking engagement <laughs> advice, don't poke the bear. It doesn't uh, turn out well. I'm going to write that line down. Um, also, I'm going to steal the Larry David line from Curb Your Enthusiasm. They're going home from a dinner party, and Cheryl's just super mad at Larry. And he goes, how mad would you say you are right now from 1 to 10? And she'd go, 10? He bought, how about this? Can I negotiate that on the car ride home, you just stay at an 8 and then you go back to a 10? Like, can you be at a 7 just for the car ride? Then immediately you can go back to the 10. Not a bad line from Larry. No Hornets basketball tonight right here on Sports Hub Triad as we will have high school state championship action with Mount Tabor facing Cleveland at Keenan Stadium. We'll talk to Dave Pulaski about that matchup from Chapel Hill in about 15 minutes. The Hornets, though, for me, I think it's all about avoiding the 9-10 play-in game at this point for Charlotte. I don't think... I think it's a massive long shot for them to still get the sixth seed. They are two and a half games back of both Miami and Boston. I don't think they could catch Boston because Boston has the tiebreaker with Charlotte winning two out of the three regular season meetings. The Hornets did beat Miami two out of their three times they've met. But two and a half games, making that up in the last eight, it just seems unlikely. They are only up two games on Indiana, though. See, Charlotte's in the eight spot. Indiana's in the nine spot. They're up two games on Indiana. That could be made up. And here's the difference here. If you don't know about the play-in tournament, the format of it, the seven seed and the eight seed will play a one-game series. The winner of that matchup will get the seven seed and face the two seed in the next round of the playoffs or the first round of the playoffs. The loser of that game will play the winner of the 9-10, and then those two teams will play to get the number 8 seed. If you're in the 9-10 matchup, there's no chance you could just play one game in advance. No, you'd have to win twice in a row. So, Charlotte, it's very important for them. They stay out of that number 9 spot. They stay at the 8, and they're playing Chicago tonight. That's well out of it, so... This should be a win for the Charlotte Hornets tonight. No Gordon Hayward. He's out of a boot. That's the good news. He won't be in the lineup for Charlotte, but they do have LaMelo. They've had him for the last week or so. Five of the last eight games for Charlotte are at home. Only two of the three teams they're playing are currently in. Uh, Two or three of the teams they're playing are currently in playoff position. So big game for Charlotte. If they win the night and Indiana loses, they're in good enough shape, I think, they're going to lock down at least the number eight seed, but it'll remain to be seen how the rest of it shakes out. Okay, we'll play unusual questions and take a look at the Triad State Football Championship matchups again next on The Drive. Let's go! And QID. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I want to go inside Nerd Corner in a second. Sawyer Dillon joining us virtually today. A little bit later on, the Washington Post NBA reporter Ben Golliver will be our guest. A lot going on. I was watching 
what Sawyer's been up to the last few days as he tries to take his streaming game on Twitch to the next level. He's on Twitter and on Twitch, at SaulJTV. Let's just try to dive into Nerd Corner right now. I'm interested in upgrading my 28.8 kilobaud internet connection to a 1.5 megabit fiber optic T1 line. If eSports is the future, will you be able to provide an IP router that's compatible with my token ring Ethernet LAN configuration? We're getting in early. I'm here to learn, everybody, not to make out with you. This is Nerd Corner with Sawyer Dillon. Sawyer Dillon, explain to the good people of the triad what the hell a subathon is. Well, a subathon is just like a stream or anything that has to revolve around getting subs. And you can either make each sub last for a certain amount of time or at a certain sub goal you get, you do like a challenge or something for them. So I did a little bit of both. My subathon, each sub added time and also at a certain amount of subs, we had multiple goals and things that I did on stream. What's your favorite type of sub? I'm not talking about subscribers. I'm just talking about in general. Uh, chicken with some pepperoni and maybe some lettuce from Subway. Can't go wrong. Chicken and pepperoni? I'm a little weird. Everyone always says that works at Subway that I go in that they've never seen the combo before. But yeah, that's what I like to go with. That's a pretty strange combo. I'm not surprised. What do you have for me in Nerd Corner today? Well, Fortnite was on top for the first two years that they came out. Cosmetics alone, and we've talked about cosmetics where there's nothing really, you don't get any benefit um, of the game other than just looking cool. Well, over two years, Fortnite earned $9.5 billion in only cosmetic sales. This is only just skins to make your character look cool. In two years, they made $9.5 billion. How much did you spend? Oh, gosh. I mean, in my peak Fortnite days, I probably spent at least three to four hundred dollars on skins Ooh. i i was i was Ooh. deep i was deep in robert but they're not no i've never spent any money on skins but i spent money on the battle pass when i played but never on skins but it's because they weren't cheap it was like you could get uh like they would come out with uh, a nice skin something that looked cool and they'd be like oh yeah 20 bucks for this thing that you can't physically have that's only in this game and if that we ever went under and stopped providing this game you would never have again is battle pass a lot like fast pass at disney world no not even close it's like you buy it and then you can unlock things for that season like you can play along in the fortnite season if you buy the battle pass you could play for free but you won't unlock anything you won't have any challenges or as many challenges and it's not nearly as fun to play with your friends sawyer what else you got Staying on kind of the Fortnite uh, zone here. The court is going on in the Epic Games versus Apple trial, where Epic Games is trying to say that they don't want to give Apple 30% of the money that they make on the Fortnite app because why is Apple taking so much money from us, blah, blah, blah. And they're trying to get that, you know, that percentage cut down. Well, they have a phone line where you can listen to the trial with Epic versus Apple. Well, Yesterday, they opened up the phone lines and they accidentally let anyone they wanted to host. Oh, so no. on the official Epic versus Apple trial, immediately kids started joining saying, we want Travis Scott, free Fortnite, bring Fortnite on mobile, blaring Travis Scott songs. Hundreds of like little teenage kids overtook this court setting and just blasted inappropriate things, Travis Scott songs, and just were about as cringy as you would expect a Fortnite kid to be during this trial. Is there a reason why it's 
Travis Scott, or is it just because he's the most popular thing going among young people? So Travis Scott did a concert on Fortnite, like a live virtual concert, and they released a Travis Scott skin, which was also like 25 bucks. So Travis Scott is like known as kind of like the Fortnite rapper now because he did this like in-game concert. Robert, is the Travis Scott McDonald's sandwich good? I have no idea. I never ate it. I might even get it confused with Burger King. I don't know. The uh, what's up? Where do you lean on this, Sawyer? Have you have you done any research into it? Because it seems like Apple is being the bad guy here because Android isn't charging Shocker. them nearly as much money, and like Epic yeah. is just like this homegrown guy. I don't know. I, I side with Epic on this for sure. I mean, yeah, they said that Epic has brought in almost uh, one billion dollars on iOS, and they're like, well, we we take cuts out of every app, so why would we not take cuts out of this app? And Epic's like, well, you know, I kind of don't want my money to be taken. Um, but if you're going to have the app on a service, I feel like you kind of have to respect whatever that service is, you know, the cut. Like they knew the cut going in. And now that they're making a lot of money, they're like, well, maybe we don't want to have to make it that much. You know, I don't know. I don't I don't agree. I don't agree with taking a lot of money, but I also don't agree with if you know what's in store when you sign up, you kind of got to have to go with that. Is Epic's who made the Kingdom Hearts video games? No, that's Square Sync. Oh. All right. You got anything else for me? We can get one more thing in here, Sawyer. I got one more. Um, GTA. You guys have all played GTA, right? Oh, yeah. What's your favorite GTA? I've only played four and five, so I'm going to go with five just because it's so broad. But you guys know that when you load into GTA, the loading times are kind of insane, right? Yeah, they can be, yeah. San Andreas especially. Yeah. So a GTA online player was frustrated by very slow loading times, so he just decided that he was going to fix it. Uh, in one month, he managed to cut down loading times by 70% on his own like mod, where he like modded the game to completely hardly get rid of all these loading times. Well, Rockstar Games gave him a job offer and twenty thousand dollars for helping out <laughs> with things they haven't been able to do for over six years now. They are rewarding him by figuring out how to get rid of these loading times. That's pretty cool though, because I remember on five, you would just be waiting for. Even because you would have to start the game, sit through that initial loading period, and then if you wanted to play online, you would have to sit through a, an entire other loading yeah. period where it loaded the second game. And it would be it'd be like fifteen to twenty minutes just to get into like an online game. Sometimes easily. it was ridiculous. Easily. What, what's so your favorite? Cool. What's your favorite thing to mindlessly do playing GTA? Um, I like going online. I like. I like just like getting cars off the street and then trying to make them as cool as possible. Like, you know, uh, throwing yeah. some random grandma out of her car, stealing it, and then going to the shop and trying to make it look cooler than it was. That was probably what I did. I was never really one to go on like a rampage. I mean, going and getting five stars is cool sometimes, but it gets kind of boring kind of quick. Have you, uh, have you broke into the RP on there yet? I want to. RP would be fun, but I have not quite. I haven't dabbled in that yet. Should I'm I know what you, an RP is? Uh, role playing. Oh, gotcha. So uh, when, whenever you're ready, you let me know. We'll hop on RP. I'll show you around. And, Ooh, uh, I'm down for that. Let me tell you something. The You think you would be able to go in there and actually role play and have fun, but these people don't want to have fun. They want to get, like you were talking about, they want to get five stars. So just be prepared for uh, just a, an absolute cluster if we ever play. Sounds fun. Sawyer Dillon, this was a lot of fun. We'll see you in person next Thursday. All right. Thanks for having me. There you go. On Twitter, at SawJTV. Also on Twitch, at SawJTV. As promised, we've got the mock draft for the 2022 NFL draft that Todd Bigshay just put out. Before we get to the actual players being picked, 
Do you know who has the number one pick, Robert? Have you seen it? Uh, yeah, I've seen it. It's the Texans. The Texans have the number one pick. That's a pretty good guess. Then it's the Detroit Lions with the number two pick. Also, I'd say pretty good guess. Jaguars, three. They're probably going to be picking in the top five. The Jets at four. Nah, okay, I could see it. Cincinnati at five. They'll be better in Joe Burrow's second year. This is where it gets borderline disrespectful. Hurt my feelings disrespectful. The Carolina Panthers at number six. What? The Panthers are picking six? They're going to be worse than they were last year? Bleep off. He put out a tweet because people were so upset, not just against, about the Panthers, but uh, the draft order. And he was like, I did not set the draft order for this. I'm just going off, set, doing my mock draft. Which is why I don't overreact to this thing, because he's just doing his job putting out content, right? Like, he, he doesn't have a genie magic screen where he's like, oh, tell me who's going to, what the draft I've order I've heard is. him before talking about how much he hates doing this after the draft. He hates it so much. It's the thing he hates doing the most. But it gets them so many clicks. It's just like the draft grades that every outlet loves to put out. Like, oh, here's your NFC North draft yeah, grades. That's Even why we, we didn't do it. We haven't seen literally any of these players play at that's all. Right. So I think really what's interesting to pull from this story, it's kind of the general thinking of who they think's going to be bad nat- nat- nationally and who they think's going to be really good. And I think some of the rankings at position, most obviously quarterback. I thought Sam Howe would be the guy, the first quarterback coming off the board, the first pick in general. The first pick to the Texans is Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. He's a defensive end. Oregon, year after year, post-chip, putting out dudes, Robert, putting out Panay Sewell, putting out Justin Herbert, Kayvon Thibodeau. They've got dudes in Eugene. I mean, they were putting out dudes when he was there. With oh, Deion yeah. Jordan, he was a top three pick. Like, I don't think people give Oregon the same respect. Because they, they poop the bed every time they have an opportunity. Sure, that's understood. But uh, they're still recruiting that type of player. I don't think, nationally speaking, people think that, hey, these dudes are just coming out year after year from Oregon, but they are. Kadan Slovis is the first quarterback, though. He looks the part, USC, I could see it. He has more of the air quote measurables. Sam Howe is the second quarterback coming off the board. Sam Howe. Also Carolina passing on Sam Howe at number six. Here's the I've other got, crazy thing. I've got news for you. Go ahead. If Carolina's picking six next year and Sam Howe's on the board, they're not passing on Sam Howe. I thought it was crazy he put five quarterbacks in the first-round mock, too. With if I'm sure if you go back and look at last year's way-too-early mock, I, I would be pressed if he had five quarterbacks. So maybe next year's not going to be as bad of a quarterback draft as everybody thought it was going to be. Spencer Rattler, he's the third quarterback off the board. And Desmond going through the Ritter, rest of them, Cincinnati to the Steelers. I watched a lot of Desmond Ritter. Great story at Cincinnati. And Mark Willis is right in front of him. Or excuse me, Malik Willis from uh, Liberty, the latest Hugh Freeze experiment. Uh, I've watched Willis play. Eh, beat Virginia Tech, lost to NC State. At no point was I thinking, that's an NFL draft pick, and that's a first-round pick nonetheless. 
I also feel like they put up any of the like combine freaks or if you in these things like uh, Isaiah Spiller's brothers in here. Or I mean Isaiah Sp- not Isaiah yeah, brother. Not Isaiah Spiller's brother. It is uh CJ or not CJ Spiller's brother either, but you know what I mean. Like they put in the names you're gonna know. Like they have Matt Elam's brother out of Florida. Like it's gonna be funny when this dude's a third round draft pick next year because it was put in a mock as a way too early thing. Yeah, Isaiah Spiller is the running back from A and M and he was really good against Florida last year. Really good in that game. Biggest win for Texas A&M outside of the bowl game against Carolina. So there's your way too early Todd McShay mock draft. Three. You're on the air. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I remember when the NBA had its bubble restart I started thinking man in the sports context this is going to be the seventh wonder of the world decades from now it's going to be the thing when we look at the pandemic from 2020 and say well how did that happen wait why did that happen how did they possibly pull that off that's going to be the thing that we think about in the same way when you used to pick the brains of your grandparents and they'd tell you about the Great Depression or World War II. You'd read history books. You'd see things like, oh, goodness, how, how, how is it possible they got this many people to create this and do this to stimulate the economy? All of it. I just marveled at it. And it's why I'm fascinated with this book about to come out called Bubble Ball Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. It just came out this week and we're being joined by their, uh, the book's author, Ben Golliver covers the NBA for the Washington Post. So rather than you giving away all the details you learned in your reporting in the book, share a detail with me about the bubble that you think future generations are going to look back on and say, what? How did they possibly pull that off? Well, I think, you know, one thing that stands out from my 93-day stay there, um, you know, which was basically more than three months of my life, and, you know, there was a lot of different chapters to even just that experience. I mean, you've got to get acclimated. We're stuck in our hotel rooms for a full week, and, uh, you know, we're going through the quarantine process. We've got all these security measures. But I think that one thing really stood out was just how restrictive the lifestyle is, right? So when I say that, I mean I had to wear a chain around my neck that was basically a proximity alarm. If I got too close to somebody, it would start beeping to ensure that we would stay socially distant. I had to wear a bracelet on my wrist. Um, now, that bracelet would, you know, basically follow me electronically around the campus. So if I was swiping in the doors or whatever else, it could track where I would go and it could keep me out of certain areas as well. We had to wear masks at all times. We had to, you know, basically eat outdoors or, you know, if we were indoors, we had to eat, uh, you know, basically distance and by ourselves. Uh, there was four layers of security on campus, the NBA, Disney security, local police, um, and also sheriff's deputies. On top of that, there was video surveillance all around campus, which they were using to you know, actually catch a player in the act of trying to sneak somebody into his hotel room. Of course, overnight visitors were not allowed. There was the famous snitch hotline where if you saw somebody not wearing a mask or you know, violating some other rule, you could call it in. You know, one night I was just going around to get some exercise and uh, an SUV rolled up on me and asked to see my credential and uh, make sure that I was a part of the uh, the bubble and that I wasn't a trespasser. And I had to prove who I was before they would let me go. This thing was no joke, man. I mean, that big brother element will always stick with me. It was a real compromise to ensure our health and safety 
we had to give up a lot of our privacy. Give me the moment where you were at your lowest from a personal perspective, where it really weighed on you the amount of restrictions and the amount of time you spent there. Well, I think one of the toughest parts for me was when there was actually a protest. There had been a police shooting nearby, you know, in Florida, not too far away from the bubble. And a bunch of protesters actually stopped our bus on the way back from a game. And, you know, we're just media members inside that bus. And obviously you're sympathetic to whatever their their protest cause was. Um, You're also a little bit nervous because they're kind of rushing at the bus and we're wondering, you know, what kind of a situation is this going to be some sort of a violent protest? And it turned out not to be violent whatsoever. They were just trying to make a a statement. And then we're also even asking weird questions like, well, if they somehow get onto this bus, does that make us have to go back into quarantine, right? Like if we come into contact with them because we've been separated from the outside world for so long, uh, maybe we're going to be, you know, thrown back into our hotel rooms for a full week or 10 days, which obviously was very difficult the first time we had to do it. So that was just a very surreal experience. And it was kind of a reminder, you know, that bus windshield really separated our world from their world. And it just made everybody else out there feel so far away. And, you know, around that same time, there was actually wildfires in my home state of Oregon. And my parents were complaining about the air quality up there and how difficult it was. And I hadn't seen them since the previous Christmas. And so all those kinds of feelings came together. You know, it really was challenging. And a lot of people would say, well, the players were just whining. You know, it really wasn't that hard. I mean, I didn't have to play. And I was down there. I put on weight. I was sleeping terribly. My anxiety was up. I was feeling that isolation. You know, it was very challenging, uh, you know, for that 93-day uh, stay. And I'll tell you what, uh, the proof's in the pudding. They didn't want to go back and do it again. That tells you how hard it was. They basically gave no consideration to doing a second bubble. It was one and done, and they got right back to normal life. And I think that says it all. Ben Golliver with us here on Sports Up Triad, the book Bubble Ball Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. He, of course covers the NBA for the Washington Post. I've always wanted this question answered, and no one's been able to give you the answer with any level of, you know, definitivity. I can't say the word correctly, I'm sorry. But give me a sense for how close the season was to just ending once the shooting in Kenosha happened. So my stance on that is people were very upset, and there were people who were ready to go home but it actually wasn't all that close. It wasn't like bags were packed and people were flying. And here's why the money was driving this entire thing. Right. And the players and the owners both understood that even before they got to the bubble. I mean, we're talking about a $200 million investment to build and maintain the bubble. You're talking about a billion dollars of television revenue generated while they were down there. If the players had left, you know, and basically shut this thing down, the, the TV broadcasters would have been out, uh, you know, a lot of money and the NBA would have had to make that right. And what the owners could have done is basically torn up the collective bargaining agreement and said, sorry, guys, you quit on us. You know, we're going to you know, use what's called the force majeure clause and basically invalidate all the contracts and start from scratch. So there was an incredible amount of financial pressure on these guys to work out a solution. And so I was a little bit hesitant on that Wednesday night thinking like, oh, wow, this, you know, I didn't expect this coming. But ultimately, by the time I woke up the next morning, they were already back on track to fixing it. You know, famously, Chris Paul and LeBron called Barack Obama for advice. Uh, Michael Jordan got involved from the owner side. And then actually pretty quick order, they found a pragmatic solution to save the thing. So it never to me was like a, you know, a grade five crisis. 
but certainly it was a very memorable and very tense and very heated stretch where a lot of players were upset and where it, it took a lot of uh, heartfelt conversations to kind of get things right. A happy 36th birthday to Chris Paul, uh, who is the, the, the proudest son of this area here in the Piedmont Triad. We're chatting with Ben Golliver here from the Washington Post. Let's get to what's going on in the league right now. Is it too soon to call the NBA Rookie of the Year race for LaMelo Ball? No, he would be my pick, and I think him coming back from the injury really bolsters his case, right? I mean, there's a lot of of out-of-sight, out-of-mind thinking that goes on with the awards races. Um, And Anthony Edwards has stepped it up for Minnesota here over the last month or so, but I think LaMelo's had the biggest impact. You also look in Sacramento, a guy like Halliburton's injured right now, which I think kind of cuts off his case. And so I think it will go to LaMelo. I think people realize he gets the stats, he gets the numbers, and of course he has the highlight-level plays. But there's real impact, too. I mean, he's, he's helped change that culture. He's injected a lot of enthusiasm into that group, and he makes his teammates better. And those are qualities that a lot of voters value. So I think he's going to get that award. And, and real quick on Chris Paul, I think he's got to be an All-NBA second-team selection this year. I look at him as the driving force um, behind the turnaround for the Phoenix Suns. I'm not sure there are very many other players in the league could have done what he did in terms of inheriting an organization that hasn't made the playoffs in 10 years and, you know, getting them into a situation where they're competing to have their best record in basketball. And I would also just say, like, he was arguably the most important person in the bubble in terms of actually getting it happen from the player side. I mean, his fingerprints were all over those negotiations. His leadership was shining through. He was an incredible consensus builder to bring the players back together during tough times. And it's amazing he was doing all of that while also playing in high-stakes playoff games. It's just incredible. I'm not sure how many people would have the ability to multitask and to lead as effectively as Chris Paul did. Who, uh, If Chris Paul's uh, second-team All-NBA, who's your first-team All-NBA point guard? Um, well, to me, I think it's got to be Steph Curry. I mean, you look at what, at what he's doing, and, and usually I don't reward players who are on teams that are kind of mediocre from a record standpoint, but... I mean, Golden State would be the worst team in the league without him. I mean, it's just been absolutely insane. And, of course, he's closing strong. He had an awesome April, you know, breaking all these three-point records and everything else. But, uh, you know, I think that he's still the best point guard in the sport, um, narrowly edging out a guy like Damian Lillard, who's been coming after him for quite a while, and even James Harden, who was in that mix before his injury. But it's been consistent greatness from Steph Curry. And, you know, for Golden State, they're going to get a shot in this playing round to make the playoffs. If that doesn't work out, um, they're going to have to figure out a, a way to get Steph some more help coming back into next year so he can take another shot at a deep postseason run. The book is called Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. It's out this week. It's author kind enough to join us, Ben Golliver, from the Washington Post. Perhaps we could catch up somewhere down the road here in the state of North Carolina, Ben. It's good to hear from you. Congrats on the book. Uh, thanks so much. It's a state with a lot of proud basketball history. I love visiting there. Got to see Michael Jordan's high school in Wilmington and all that good stuff. Is that so right? Always great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Laney High School. I took the tour. AD was so nice. He showed me the gyms and everything. It was awesome. That's amazing. Well, we'd love to have you down here for some uh, college basketball games if you'd love to take in Cameron or take in Wake Forest or whatever it might be. Appreciate the time, Ben. Uh, yes, sir. Take care. You got it. That's Ben Golliver from the Washington Post.